Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Not the LA Lakers, not the Boston Celtics. He's going to the Toronto Raptors. Waking up this morning, there was a little bit of a murmuring going on around the NBA reporting ranks last night. And then you hit the hay. If you're in the Eastern time zone like me, like my friend who's going to be joining us in just a minute, boom. A situation that looked like it was going to take months to resolve is done. Kawhi Leonard out in San Antonio. And heading back to the Spurs is DeMar DeRozan, maybe the most beloved Raptor in franchise history, him or Vince Carter, it's one of those two. What do we think? Sean Woodley of Raptors HQ, who's joined us for the first time. And I got to say, Sean, we've had Justin Rowan on this program quite a bit. (laughs) I think now we're moving into a new Eastern Conference era. The Celtics and Raptors have avoided each other for the whole Brad Stevens era. And it seems imminent that these two are going to be battling for the foreseeable future now, at least this upcoming year. Yeah, it's uh, I'm count me among the people who's kind of bummed that they haven't played in a series so far because like I don't know I've always circled the Celtics as the team that I dislike the most, so I've always kind of want to see the Raptors play against them. And uh, yeah, no, at least for this season, the Raptors look very much on paper to be, if not as good as the Celtics, slightly below them. But I think they're pretty much neck and neck both a bit of a tier above where the Sixers are and yeah I'm excited man every time the Raptors and Celtics play it seems to be fun there seems to be some sort of drama uh the regular season series have been really exciting the last couple seasons and it's a bummer like they're they've kind of been robbed of playoff series by weird seeding (laughs) stuff that kind of plays out in the last few days of the season so or a guy named uh, LeBron James last year (laughs) yeah that that guy kind of does stuff uh and and ruins everyone's day uh but no just like weird seeding stuff too where like the it seems like it's going to line up for like for you know i don't know like 80 percent of the season and then the last 20 20 percent of the year things kind of go out of whack and throws off what we thought was going to happen so yeah I, i'm excited whether it's a conference finals or it's some other match i mean our luck it'll be like uh like the the raptors kind of take some time and to figure things out and they'll finish like i don't know the three seed and they'll get the set the sixers in the second round or something like that <laughs> they, they, they won't even end up playing so but yeah no i'm hoping they play it's a it should be a really fun rivalry at least for this season because as much as demar was central to what the raptors are i feel like kyle lowry is kind of like still 
maybe the most I don't know Lowry's more of an agitator I guess than Demar so if there's any sort of animosity there and you also got Surge who likes to punch people and stuff so <laughs> uh, if there's any sort of animosity there's still enough guys who have been around the last couple of years to bring it for sure between Serge Ibaka Kyle Lowry and now Kawhi Leonard who hasn't played regularly since 2016 or if we're being honest about it at the end of the 2017 season there we're looking at one of the highest variance teams in basketball now, and that, that's probably going to be fun for you with the ups and downs, the swings that they're going to go on between those mm-hmm. three players who you don't know what to expect from now, especially with the absence of the core of the Raptors for years to earlier. We're going to talk about just how different that team's going to look in just a bit. But the number one question I have today out of all of this with how long it's been since we've seen Leonard on the court like regularly, do we still know who he is as a player? We remember who he was against LeBron James, playing as a Finals MVP, playing as an MVP candidate. But now, past the injury, off the court for almost an entire season, with the report from Chris Haynes that maybe he isn't thrilled about being in Toronto, do we know what we're going to absolutely expect from him? Yeah, so I think there's probably two sort of components to this, right? It's how much is he going to try, how much is he going to be engaged, and then how much is he going to be healthy? For the first part, I think that is kind of – it was a concern, I think, early today with, with that Chris Haynes tweet you talked about and you know the, the little rumor that was out there that he might not even report. That seems to be not really the case now. Uh, I know Woj went on SportsCenter and said that you know the, Kawhi's warming to the idea of playing with the Raptors. They're a contender, all this stuff. Uh, and Brian Windhorst said he's going to be professional, make the best of the situation, whatever it is. So I don't have any concerns about him showing up. And like he's a, in a contract year after just not playing for an entire year. He's going to be motivated to play at least somewhat hard, I would assume. And like talking to Spurs people I've talked to, like it seems like anytime he's on the court, he's giving it his all and trying really hard. So I'm not concerned about that. The health is probably the bigger concern. And, you know, I we don't know. We have no idea what's going on. Drawing the line between where he his like injury and his just beef with the Spurs and how that sort of came together to keep him out of the lineup. We don't really know where that line is and what sort of how that pie chart, you know, squares up and we don't know what the more responsible thing was for him being out, but I would assume if he's going to go to USA camp this week or next week, and I assume if he's going to be ready for camp, like it seems like he's going to be healthy. He hasn't played for a year pretty much. So I would assume he's going to be at least healthy coming in, whether or not that acts up again, I don't know. And that's obviously part of the risk here and part of why the Raptors kind of didn't have to give up all that much to get him comparatively to what, you know, what was on the table or or what was rumored to be what the Spurs were looking for. So I, uh, I'm less concerned than maybe I thought I was going to be about Kawhi's status for next season, considering all what we've heard and just sort of today's revelations that he's kind of okay with coming. So um, yeah, you know, the, the, the thing with his quad, if it's a chronic thing, then yeah, that's going to play into it. And that's going to even weigh if the Raptors somehow managed to keep Kawhi beyond this year, that's going to weigh on, you know, what they want to give him in the next contract. Right. And they'll have to weigh that risk. So you're hoping um, for that next contract, aren't you? That would be great. That would be awesome. But like, that's something that's going to be, that you have to talk about like the injury thing is going to be a thing with Kawhi probably for the rest of his career. There's two big picture questions. I have the first of them, obviously being the bigger goal of this trade, because <laughs> DeRozan was signed for two more seasons. Obviously a player who would have absolutely been committed to Toronto for the rest of his career. You don't know what the upside would have been with him. So maybe you're cashing in on maybe a middle-tier upside for that team to a top-tier upside under Kawhi Leonard. Given the fact that 
you've heard so much about him playing in L.A., and I know the big comparison is Paul George, which we've heard a million times now because that's what everybody in Raptors land wants to hope is possible <laughs> with Leonard. What is the bigger goal of this trade? Sending away the franchise player, bringing in a rental player as of now, and the necessity is that you have to change that. It's a monumental risk. Yeah. So what, what, what's the ultimate upside of this move? Is it to win a championship this year? Is that a possible with a new group coming together? I, so I think the main goal with this, you know, obviously any, any year you want to win a championship, I guess. So that's like a goal that they'll have, whether it's realistic, probably not. Um, but I think the biggest thing with this move is that it is a move for the Raptors to try to cash in on the sort of brand building they've done over the last five years. I mean, the Raptors were never a team that was trading for people like Kawhi Leonard before Masai Ujiri got here. Like this is a, a, a sort of it's a revamped team, right? Like they've kind of gone under, undergone a makeover from being just an embarrassment, a bar, embarrassing backwater franchise that no one cared about to being like a real team that matters in the NBA and in the in, in sort of the grand scheme of things. So this is them betting on themselves. This is them saying, hey, like. We're not going to draft a superstar player in all likelihood because we're too good to do that. And we're probably not going to land a free agent just because, A, the odds of doing that are pretty slim. And we're not a traditional free agent market. So the way for us to get a top five MVP, MVP candidate on our team is to make a risky trade like this and bet on ourselves and say, like, we have done the work. We've built enough over the last five years to say we believe in our culture, our organization to convince a guy to stick around. Whether or not that works, I don't know. But I think they've put in the work to, to warrant thinking that they can. And Masai Ujiri, I mean, this dude made the trade while hanging out with Barack Obama opening a school in Africa. Like, this guy is... Interesting he, tidbit. A, he's connected. A, he's a person that he's powerful. Like, I, I don't know what Masai's real motivations are, but, like, this is a guy who I would not bet against if he's trying to sell Kawhi Leonard on sticking around. It's just he's a very charismatic dude. I mean, Raptors fans are head over heels for him for good reason. He just traded for Kawhi freaking Leonard and didn't give up either OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam, which everyone was worried about. Like, he it's just he kind of has this personality that is kind of infectious and I would not bet against him if he's the pitch man for Kawhi Leonard over the course of the year so that's what this is uh, eventually yeah it's to build a title or whatever but I think the bigger goal for Masai at least is to prove that the Raptors are in fact you know a franchise that needs to be reckoned with as one of the bigger more important relevant franchises in the league and this is their bet trying to prove that and if it doesn't work that's going to be a setback for sure, but at least they tried it and they didn't set themselves too far back because, you know, losing DeMar is a bummer. But like you said, they're trading in a couple years of so-so upside for one year of potentially finals upside. And then if you get to the finals, who knows what happens? Injuries happen. Cavs fans know what can happen in the, over the course of a finals. Like it's unlikely sure to beat the Warriors, but if you get there, you're there. And that's definitely something to be you know envied if you're someone, if you're another team out, out there in the league. So I uh, I think the bigger goal here is to sort of establish the Raptors as a franchise that matters. And if it doesn't work, the Masai will try again. Like Masai, if anything, is not going to stop trying. Wasn't so. he the one who said F Brooklyn and then they lost the series? <laughs> he, he did. He did. They weren't supposed to win that series anyway. But, yeah, he did say that. He He's a, he's a loose cannon, man. Like, he'll say some stuff, and I don't think he cares um, but like all that stuff, like the F Brooklyn thing that still stands as something people remember today, right? Like this is all part of what he's done over the last five years, building this into a team that matters. And like, you can make fun of Drake all you want. Having Drake sit courtside matters. And like people care about that. Having, 
you know, Lou Williams get mentioned on a Drake song. Like if that's a possibility for some player, like it sounds dumb, but it's a real thing that say, matters to a lot of these guys. As I said to you on the air, I was I was up in Toronto at the end of May in the Cavaliers series. They weren't in Toronto at the time. I believe mm-hmm. it was game three. And the atmosphere up there is electric. The mm-hmm. gathering outside of the court, the bar right next door, the city was just fired up for the team and it wasn't the best year for the Maple Leafs, so that helps a little bit. But this is a team that you want to see succeed. This is a franchise that you do want to see succeed, even from a Celtics perspective. It, it, it's fun to have both of these squads up at the top of the East. I'm just wondering how persistent this is going to be, and I'm going to have you play some odds on it. Mm-hmm. I originally threw out there when it first happened, what are the odds Leonard never plays a game for the Raptors? And I guess that question still stands with the fact that we haven't seen a physical yet. But yeah. I'll throw the two more likely ones at you. What are the odds that he makes it through the whole season? And what are the odds that he stays with Toronto past the season? It's so hard to say. And I feel like those numbers will kind of change change over the course of the year so maybe these would be cop-out answers but i think the whether he stays through the whole season like are you talking injury or are you talking trade like they trade oh trade okay so yeah i would say probably something like 75 like i think they're really going to want to try to make this work and i can't imagine this team as currently constructed is going to completely bottom out um, you know, if Kawhi's playing and is even close to what Kawhi can be, this is going to be a really good team that has a lot of depth and a lot of versatility and a lot of young, interesting players who should be getting better than they were last year. So I think the, the they're going to be sort of committed to going all in with this because this is an all-in season. Like, this is why you make this move is to try to go all in and to sell yourself short, you know, three-quarters of the way through the season or whatever. I think that's not really sort of in Masai's DNA. And it's so hard to say what I think the odds are that he stays. I would say right now, 10%, maybe like that 5%, something like that. Like we don't Very know. Realist approach I'm just going that. off. I'm just going off of what Kawhi has said. Right. But yeah. I'm also factoring in, like, if you're going off just what Kawhi said and what the sort of rumors are, it's, it's probably 0%, but I'm already factoring in that Masai is Masai and he's going to work his magic. He's going to start pitching day one. And I would not be shocked if by the end of the year that that figure gets closer to 50-50 and we see kind of the Raptors be very much on Kawhi's list starting next season or starting in the summer when he gets free agency. So, um, again, that could very much move. And I think as the season plays out, if the Raptors win 60 games, I mean, that's going to be a pretty good case for Kawhi. If they pay the tax and just, you know, deal with a pretty big luxury taxes bill this season, that's going to be a big symbol to a guy like Kawhi. Like, Hey, we're committed to winning here. Why don't you stick around and see what we can do over more years with you? Um, and see if maybe we can get another guy to come play with you. So I, I would say right now, probably about 10%. That's just me being conservative, me being sort of apprehensive about the whole thing, but I would not be shocked if that changes for the better over the course of the year. The complexion of the East really changed overnight, given that the rundown, DeMar DeRozan headed to San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard to Toronto. Uh, The package out to San Antonio included a top 20 protected pick, Grand Slam right there on that front. You're probably giving up the first round pick, but it's not going to be anything that really hurts the Raptors too much on that front and then coming back you get Danny Green too so you have a starting shooting guard Mm -hmm. in place of DeRozan so a lot of people despite the massive risk that's being taken 
are probably going to like the return and what was given up besides the Rosen heading back to San Antonio. Jacob Pertle? Yeah. Jacob Pertle. Jacob Pertle. Oh, completely yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the return is, uh, like I said, I was in the early hours of the morning when the deal was sort of announced, but they didn't know what the pieces were yet. I was fully expecting one of uh, OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam to be part of the deal, maybe even both. Like, I was mm-hmm. kind of ready for that to happen. And then when it was just Yaka Pertle, who is a good player, and I'm going to miss him. He's a good player. He, he's got a lot of promise, but he's probably the least attractive, least high upside of all the Raptors' young players right now. And for him to be the only guy that gave up from that future cachet of guys, like, I'm pretty psyched about that, I got to say. And the thing is, you know, the the way that this Raptors team was set up, they were probably going to have a rebuild coming in the next couple of years anyway, when Kyle and Serge's uh, deals are done after the 2020, 2019, 2020 season, like they don't have much money on the books. Norm Powell's locked in. And then DeMar would have been on the books for a year beyond that, uh, barring him uh, not picking up his option, which I feel like he probably would have at that point. Um, you know, the, the Raptors are kind of set up here where if it doesn't work out and Kawhi leaves, they don't have a lot of money owed. They have a lot of cap space. They can use either to go sign players if they want to, try or they can just take on bad contracts and get assets back um and just kind of do the the nets thing for a couple of years while they kind of recoup a little bit after a pretty long run of being successful so if you're going to have five or six or seven years of being really good and a couple of downturn years at the end like i think that's kind of a part of the life cycle of every team and th- this move all, all it really does is it moves it up a little bit quicker and it kind of there's higher upside this season. There's quicker downside on the other side, but I don't think Masai is all that upset about that because blowing this thing up has always been on the table. It's always been an option. And, you know, why not try to do something big before completely blowing it up? And I think this, you know, when you move beyond this next couple of seasons as well, not having to borrow the books, that makes it a lot easier to, to be bad and to tank if that's what you want to do too. So I think they're just kind of set up here. Their future is not hindered at all by this trade. And be, that's because they kept OG and Pascal, who are their two highest upside guys, and who I think, you know, when I was looking at the possibility of a Kawhi trade, the, the, the concept of playing those two with Kawhi was kind of what made it so attractive to me just because of the defensive versatility those guys can offer. And that's all intact. So, yeah, the, the return... Again, it sucks to lose DeMar, who should have his jersey retired by the Raptors tomorrow. Like, he is... He's not the most talented Raptor of all time, but he might be the most important Raptor of all time, considering he stayed for three different contracts. He signed three contracts with the Raptors. No one's ever done that before. Um, he turned himself from being not much of a prospect at all into a self-made all-star. That 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 sucks to lose, but the, the, the gamble is worth it, and especially when you factor in that the future is not all that compromised. DeRozan was hurt by it. You saw the posts on Instagram, the feelings of betrayal, and then worse yet was that NBA players around the league seemed to be tweeting in solidarity with him, and that's not great because if you're going boom or bust for this next season, and as you talked about, the out is that you can smoothly transition into a rebuild after that. That rebuild just becomes a little bit tougher now that they've lost graces with some of the best players across the league, it seems like, given that DeRozan, by all accounts that I've heard, is one of the most liked players in the league, and he Hmm. was completely blindsided by this, given his posts, and hurt. Yeah, no, that that for me is the hardest thing to digest. The fact that it's not a clean break with DeMar sucks. Like, it really does. But I, I... These things pass, right? Like teams, you know, it's, oh, they, they've, they've ruined their relationships going forward with all these teams. Well, it's not like they're signing 
any of these free agents who are or any of these players who are mad about it right now, right? Like, it's not something they're. That, that's you don't want Marcus rocket, Morris? Right? I'm good. I'm all set. Um, but so the, the just the way that it sort of looks now, I think it'll be a lot. You know, it'll be like the PR hit will be dampened. I think once Kawhi hits the floor with the Raptors and we, and people see what the team looks like, and also just like you get distance from it, right? I mean, you look at the Celtics. That, like trading Isaiah Thomas after the playoff run he had after the death of his sister after he played hurt like that wasn't a very good PR move by any means like a lot of people didn't like that and like I think a lot of people look at the Celtics right now and say yeah I'd play for that team they're really good they're probably going to win a lot of games I would play for them and if you win a lot of games and are a contender that's going to paper over I think any sort of perceived lack of loyalty because here's my thing about all this is that We've kind of hammered home the last couple of years that loyalty doesn't really matter or exist from either side, player or team. So when a team doesn't show it, I don't know why we get so like upset about it because it doesn't exist on either side. So why is it such a big deal every time it happens? It feels like it's just like a, a talking point that people hit on when really it's never existed. So why do we keep bringing it up as if it did? And again, this is coming from someone who's sad to see DeMar go for sure. I just think it's a top five player in the NBA. It is Kawhi's extremely like, when, when we're talking about that loyalty argument. This really is both sides of it when it comes to yeah. Kawhi completely decommitting from one of the premier franchises in the NBA, which I think is yeah. still what shocks people so much about this. Not only the fact that he seemed to be a pretty quiet, content guy, but behind the scenes, apparently there was a lot of discontent, and it boiled out in the most unimaginable way. But on Mm -hmm. the other side, you have a player who's completely bought into Toronto. You know, you would think he was from there, how much he loves the situation there. And then the team slides it out from under him, too. So we really are in a position where it's going to be the Wild West in the NBA, especially based off this move now, because both sides have just strayed so far from that committal. The contracts are getting shorter, as we know, too. You know, the longest contracts we're seeing are four years long. And with massive movement among the stars again this offseason, besides Paul George, of course, things put in Oklahoma City, it feels like this is another move swaying the league in the direction of rapid player freedom and teams making bold moves to proactively get ahead of those player movements. Yeah, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's fun. I'm happy players can exercise their freedom, and I'm happy players are are sort of taking back a little bit of control of their destinies, and it's going to go both ways if that's the case. And yes, some guys might be punished because they're super loyal just because of the trade situations that might present themselves. And like I, I don't think there's any, like, it's not a slight against DeMar that you trade him for Kawhi Leonard. And yes... The PR of it is is foggy because Kawhi did the disloyal thing with the Spurs and totally and sort and sort of burned them, and so that makes it, it, the perception of bringing Kawhi and replacing a guy who was so loyal is obviously going to be tough to swallow. But the NBA is about having superstar players, and if you don't have one, you're probably not. You're going to be the Raptors at, at best. Like that's your best case scenario. Yeah. When you're not a superstar, you become the Raptors, and the Raptors are very good and fun, and I've enjoyed the hell out of them, but. There's a certain like diminishing return if you're going to be the same thing every year, and 
why not try to get a top five player? This is what you do. This is what you build a team for is to get a guy like that. And if it's available, even though he's a depressed asset and he's like an unclear situation, uh, I think getting the guy on your team that gives you a head start on everything, right? It gives you a head start on just uh, trying to keep him around and all this stuff. It keeps him away from teams like the Celtics and Sixers, which is another little bonus thing for the Raptors here is that they were in direct competition, it seems, with teams that they will be in direct competition with in the Eastern Conference. And to keep Kawhi out of their hands, even if Kawhi doesn't play, or is not up to the snuff, like that's still a win on some level for the Raptors. So uh, as as rough as it is to see Tamar upset about it, I'm hoping that time kind of heals it. Time heals a lot of things. Vince Carter and the Raptors are on good terms now. That was never supposed to happen considering how that ended. Like these things, they take time. And, you know, with some hindsight, I'm sure Demar will feel a little less sort of animosity towards the Raptors front office. I'm sure, you know, when he comes back, he's going to get an enormous ovation when he, when, when he comes to Toronto with the Spurs, like it's the love will still be there for tomorrow from the fans. And I think that's, what's important. So um, the loyalty thing is tough, but I, I just, I, I, I think we've we've entered an age, like you said, where that's not really a thing that should be, you know, really that doesn't matter anymore. And if you are a team that is making decisions based on trying to be loyal, you're probably going to leave yourself behind. Let's talk about Celtics here on the Celtics Boy podcast for just a minute. We're going to see each other at some point in the playoffs, I'd imagine, Raptors mm. and Celtics. And it's been an intriguing matchup throughout the entire Brad Stevens tenure. Of course, the lottery season, Celtics went 1-3 and three against them, followed that up with 2-2 two and two the year Isaiah arrived. 1-3 the first full Isaiah season, and then another 1-3 season the second full Isaiah season. So those teams... The Isaiah-led teams fared very poorly against Toronto. There was an obvious matchup discrepancy there. The size matchup at guard really hurt Boston through those years. Then flip it over to next year with a completely new Boston roster. A little more even. I, I love the way Celtics played at home. They won both those games. Lost two ones in blowouts at Toronto now. So the Raptors ripped their core out. Flip their roster upside down a little bit with this trade. How's this matchup going to look next year in your mind? And how how are the Raptors going to be playing as a whole? Because we saw them shake up their style of play last year Mm -hmm. quite a bit. And now you rip out the central piece on the roster, put a new one in there. What changes are you expecting from a stylistic standpoint? I'm not sure we'll see that much in the terms of like, I think they're going to try to keep their same motion offense that they ran last year. Nick nurse is, he was the architect of the offense last year. Now he's the head coach. So I don't think we'll see much change there. We might see Kyle Lowry have the ball in his hands more often, which I don't think is a bad thing by any means. Cause Kyle Lowry is really good. And in terms of the matchup between the Celtics and Raptors, like, it's going to be kind of like the Spider-Man meme, like pointing at each other because it's just two teams with very good point guards and a million wings and, and like good big men who can pass and and play make. Like it's going to be a really interesting matchup. I think they're two excellent teams and I don't know who I would pick really in a series at this point, we'd have to see them play over the course of the season for me to have any sort of guess because the Raptors are suddenly one of, if not the deepest team on the wing in the league. I mean, Norm Powell's their fifth wing, behind Danny Green, CJ Miles, OG, Kawhi. Like, that is going to be horrifying defensively for teams to go up against. And there's enough offensive chops there when you factor in Kawhi and Kyle that I think it's going to be a really good offensive team, too. Like, I, having DeMar was great. DeMar carried a team to, you know, a top-five offense like four or five years in a row. But it just it's going to be more balanced, I think. And there's going to be, like, fewer liabilities for teams to really pick apart. I mean, 
DeMar, his, his biggest problem was you couldn't really hide him anywhere on defense and they don't have that problem anymore. So, uh, and that's kind of what the Celtics are built on, right? Is having switchable dudes across all positions and, you know, playing creative lineups. I think the Raptors are going to play a lot of weird, really weird and quirky lineups this season. I would expect yeah. Pascal Siakam is going to play a ton of center. Um, and especially against the Celtics, I think you can throw Siakam up against Horford and kind of have that be a fine size matchup where you're not going to get too too battered on the boards or anything like that. So um, I think they're going to be very similar teams in how they play. I think Nick Nurse is going to be very different from Dwayne Casey in that I think he's going to be experimental, kind of like Brad Stevens, where he's not really going to care what positions are on the court. He's just going to play the best five guys for the certain moment. And that's kind of what Brad Stevens has done with the Celtics. So I'm not saying Nick Nurse is Brad Stevens by any means, but I think there's a similar sort of line of thinking and sort of school of thought there. So um, I'm excited for these matchups. If there's anything I'm excited for this season, and there's a lot, it's it's watching the Celtics and Raptors go head to head because as good as the Sixers are, I think they're a little bit more incomplete than both of these teams. I mean, the Raptors go like 11 or 12 deep once again. The Celtics are probably going to do the same because they get you know contributions out of dudes at the end of the bench incredibly well. So um, it's going to be really fun. Like this would be a fun Christmas game, I think, or like a fun you know season opening game. It, I, I really do think that this, this is going to be the best matchup in the Eastern Conference all season, and maybe that speaks to the Eastern Conference being not so good, but. Kawhi's damn good, and well, so them, was the yeah. Like, like they're very good teams. You like that rotation being in the division too, because you get the four games between Philly, Boston, and Toronto, who figure absolutely to be the top yeah three teams in the East. I'm excited mm-hmm. for that too. Small ball, positionless basketball. I'm down for all of that, but I still worry about. Serge Ibaka for you guys. Yeah. So much riding on him, and he just looks like he's deteriorating by the season to me. Just, I, you know, maybe I haven't seen the best of him with the Raptors, but every time I watch them, it seems like they're just dragging him along, and he plays the vital position among all the lineups that they play there because he's going to shift between the four and the five because of his defensive presence. He shoots... Not always well, sometimes well, but it's just, you know, he, they, they gave up a lot to get him. They're giving a lot of salary to him year after year. I wonder if they have another move up their sleeve to try to shake up that front court because I look at that as the biggest mismatch between these two teams still. Maybe the wings that Boston has between Tatum and Hayward are going to be tough for Toronto to handle too. But I look in the front court with the way Horford plays, especially come playoff time, and I just I can't get past how much of a mismatch I think that's going to be. Yeah, I think maybe you're kind of overstating Serge's decline a little bit. He was bad in the playoffs. like He was unplayable in the playoffs, and it was a disaster, but... He has always been better as a center, and he's kind of been playing at a position for, I don't know how many years now, between OKC, Orlando, and Toronto, uh, just kind of based on how the, the rosters have been built. And I think the nice thing about, you know, I'm not glad Jakob Pertle is gone, per se, but the nice thing about him not being on the roster anymore is it kind of clears out some space for Serge to just play more center. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to start or whatnot or what the starting five is going to end up being, but... Wouldn't be shocked to see Serge come off the bench and just be the backup center. And he's been effective in that role. He, uh, in game three against the Cavs in the playoffs, he finished the game as the, as the small ball center next to Pascal Siakam. That lineup has been really good uh, in certain, in a small amount of minutes, but like they've been really effective and it kind of makes sense. They're both really good defensively. Uh, Pascal can kind of switch out on the perimeter. Serge is really good when he's near the rim and they're both pretty good offensive players in their own different ways. Um, so that, that that's worked really, really well. So uh, I think, between Pascal, Serge, and Jonas, and then also just sliding OG or Kawhi down to the four, 
I think they're going to make that front court work. And I think the, they're just going to play a lot of lineups with like three or four wings and they're going to be fine with it. Um, and, and so that's going to mitigate that a little bit, but yeah, Serge is a question mark. And if he's as bad as he was in the playoffs, then yeah, that's a terrible contract to have on your team. Um, I'm not sure what other moves are out there. Uh, you know, p- the potential of like trying to flip Norm Powell for like another depth big, I think John Henson's name has been kind of thrown out there a little bit as just like a theoretical, you know, just flipping position for position. You know, they're both maybe not the best contracts in the world, but they kind of are useful for what each team kind of needs at the time between Milwaukee and Toronto. So maybe that's there. Um, something like that where they kind of balance it out by trading Norm could make some sense. But I think the front court is going to be fine because I do think, a lot of the minutes at the four are going to be played by either Kawhi or OG. And if that's the case, like sign me up because those dudes uh, playing the four, it, it's a going to facilitate cool lineups. And also the, they're just better than the Raptors traditional options, which I, I think if there's one thing, this Nick nurse is not going to be beholden to which traditional lineups. I think he's going to be creative and, and will not sort of, you know, be afraid to, to sort of go away from what the Raptors have done the last few years. Seems fairly confident that these two teams will be at the top of the standings in the East, health permitting. So that's going to be a good place to be, considering the fact that you might have seven and eight seeds in the conference that are below 500, given where it's gone this offseason, which is great. Yeah. And maybe that changes at some point. Maybe within the next few seasons, you see the playoff structure change a little bit. I'm not down for one to 16. But I did hear a good idea about maybe you let the last four spots come down the wild card so you eliminate, say, those two deadweight teams at the bottom of the east. If the four best teams are at the bottom of the west, suddenly those teams get in. And then you just get a few of those east-west conference matchups at the beginning of the playoffs rather than throughout. Interesting stuff, but that's for another podcast. Good talking Raptors with you. I'm sure we'll do it throughout the season. That's Sean Woodley. You can read him at RaptorsHQ.com, and you can find him on Twitter at Woodley with an E, Sean. Good to talk to you, man. Welcome to the show. You're the new Justin. (laughs) Slightly less nasally than Justin, I think. (laughs) All right. Good night, guys. You can find the Celtics Blog Podcast, the Banners Broadcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and at CelticsBlog.com. So stay tuned with us. Next week, we're going to be talking to Ben Brodick, who's going to take us inside Al Al Horford's future with the team as we start looking ahead at next offseason. And Stay tuned to CelticsBlog.com because that Marcus Smart situation is resolving. We, it's amazing we didn't mention his name in the show today, but it seems imminent that he's going to be signing a roughly four-year, $52 million contract to stay in Boston. So the whole squad's back, and the countdown's on. We're under 100 days until the NBA season is back. So we will speak to you next time. I'm Bobby Manning. Good night, everyone. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.